relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Welcome, dear friends, to the Manhood Hour, one of our specials every week where we celebrate that which made Western civilization possible and today may be called toxic. Well, we revel in it. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're not going to talk to former SEALs or founding members of Delta Force. We're going to take this to the, what what height was that Chinese balloon at? We're going to go to the stratosphere, 60,000 feet at least, to look at the overarching assault on masculinity and what we can do about it with a man whose mind I respect greatly. He was a loss from his last employer. Now he's ended up somewhere even more influential. We love Hillsdale College. Larry, you're doing just fine. Could you build another thousand of those? He is from the D.C. campus of Hillsdale College, fellow professor, Dr. David Azrad. Welcome in studio. Thank you for having me, Sebastian. It's been too long. It has been a while. So when are you going to publish your first book? Larry uh, told me to kick your butt. <laughs> well, he's, he's pressuring me to get married first, and then I'm going to do the book. Priorities. So. Okay. okay, marriage first, then the book. Yes. That sounds very, very good. Okay, um, the fir- I have five questions I ask all of my guests uh, that I have received from my boss, the, the matriarch of the family. Uh, you know her well. You were at a, on a panel with her recently. Uh, the first one, I don't think I have to couch in the, the terms I usually do. I ask my guests... Is masculinity, is manhood in danger? I think the answer you're going to say to that is yes. What is the magnitude of the assault? How serious is the assault on the classic virtues and the classic tropes of manhood? I don't think you could find a more feminized society in human history than ours. Really? I mean, where would you even begin to look? I mean... You know, if a feminist were here, she'd start twitching and say, what are you talking about? Look at the disparities. We've never had a woman president. So they like to point to the fact that women are underrepresented in a whole bunch of realms. Setting aside the fact that they are then overrepresented in others like college campuses, for example, I would just say even in places where there are not a lot of women at the top, the ethos is a feminine one. People get offended. They report you to HR. They find, look at, think of how men relate to one another, right? We basically insult one, one another, are pretty hard with one another to each yeah. other's faces. Women don't deal with one another that way. That's fine. They're soft and, and they're more gentle. That's what Jordan Peterson calls being agreeable. Yeah. And, yeah the feminine characteristic of agreeability. And, and we are, even when we're being agreeable, we're aggressive, especially with our friends. Yeah. Uh, we, Ribbing is affection. It is. 
but it's also offensive because we use ethnic humor. You know, we call each other, we make implications about our sexual orientation, to put it in polite terms. Right. That's what guys do, but you can't do that in the modern workplace. You can't do that in the military. So think of the places that you would think are the most masculine. The NFL, the military, and the police. There is a feminine spirit there. Forget the fact, aside from the NFL, that they lower standards across the board right. to accommodate female officers or female cadets. The NFL, they dress them up in pink for Breast Cancer Month. They have them apologize for slavery. They're all obsessed about concussions. They are, I think they view masculinity as a threat to their project. They're trying to deconstruct it and neutralize it. And the rhetoric of the feminist notwithstanding, I think you see a feminist and feminine spirit that pervades but hang, all institutions. I've got to push back on that. Yeah. It's not feminine. These people aren't feminine. I mean, you know, the, the, the radical, you know, those who screech toxic masculinity and claw at the bronze doors of the Supreme Court, they're not feminine, David, are they? So they're not feminine <laughs> in the best sense of the term, but they tap into some aspects of the feminine character. Uh, so, for example, finding certain, you know, being more delicate and being more readily offended. Uh, being more compassionate and, and more pitiful of those who are harmed or suffering. I mean, look at the widespread unease we have across the West in using force to punish. I mean, I'm not talking about reveling in violence against the innocent. I mean, killing really, really bad people who have been found guilty. We feel uncomfortable with it. And I think that's more of a feminine trait to be bothered by suffering. Look at the push to start granting, you know, something equivalent to human rights for animals. Yeah. The real unease at seeing animal suffering. So, you know, I don't want to live, I mean, I, I think this is an obvious point, but it's worth saying because people get offended. In an ideal society, you would have the masculine and the feminine balancing each other, right. tempering each other, uh, making each other stronger and better. We are off kilter. We are out of whack. Uh, and, you know, and in a certain sense, it's the men's fault. We'll talk about that in a second, yeah. the, the genesis of it. What is your dissertation on? How would you classify yourself? What, what pigeonhole do you put yourself in academically? So I, I Philosopher, historian, so I, I, I studied political philosophy. Okay. I wrote a dissertation on John Locke's uh, first treaties of government. Uh, I mostly stutter, studied, you know, the tradition of political philosophy from Plato to Heidegger. Uh, but then my career has been in American political thought because I worked in, at the Heritage Foundation for nine years. And now the teaching I do at Hillsdale is partly political philosophy, but a lot of American political thought. So basically so, from the founding until today. So let's put this into the correct historic context. When did this really begin and, and when was the acceleration? Because we had, you know, the invention of the pill. We had flower power. We had 60s. And then it seems as if we, that we woke up one morning and you know, CRT is being taught in, in kindergarten. When, when did the assault on masculinity really begin and when did it accelerate? Well, there are so many ways to answer this yeah. question. Let, let, let's keep it simple to start. I mean, I think what gets called second wave feminism is probably a good starting point. So the first wave of feminism is in the 19th century. And the main focus is suffrage. Yes. Culminates in yeah, the 19th Amendment in America. Now, 
That said, that first wave, you know, also changes the character of the regime. I mean, if we accept as conservatives that there's a fundamental natural difference between men and women, you know, I never hear conservatives shut up about, you know, we believe in nature, human nature, human nature. Well, it's going to change the character of America to grant full civic equality to women. It's going to make the country softer in a certain sense. Now, other issues will be emphasized. Exactly. Um, now, the second wave of feminism is, is really where I think the big change happens. And uh, Simone de Beauvoir writes a book called Le Second Sex, The Second Sex in 1944 in France. Uh, and Betty Friedan uh, writes The Feminine Mystique in 1963, I think. And she basically brings the ideas of de Beauvoir to America. The book is a massive bestseller. I mean, it sold over a million copies. And the basic argument of the book is that the domestic life is equ equivalent to being in a concentration camp. Yeah, you're a prisoner. You're a prisoner. Your wife is a prisoner. Yes, she's miserable. And that the only way that women can become fully human and find happiness is if they go outside of the home. So I, the way I'd set up, I'm sum up Friedanian feminism is career first, family second, women can have it all. Now... She is then rapidly outflanked to her left by what she ends up calling the lavender mafia, like the really radical lesbian feminists who say, to hell with the family. Women need men like fish need, need bicycles, bicycle. right? right? That famous quote by, um, who was it again? I forget her name now. Uh, so Friedan panics and, and says, oh, well, actually, you know, maybe I take it back. Maybe the home is not like a concentration camp. But in any case, the damage is done, the consensus shifts. You have a brief period of pushback from the right. I think the, the unsung hero there is Phyllis Schlafly. Yes. Who is really, what Gloria, an amazing... Gloria Steinem, sorry. Gloria Steinem, that's it. What an amazing woman Phyllis Schlafly was, yeah. right? Married with five kids and then gets into this fight. She single-handedly kills the Equal Rights Amendment. But the Phyllis Schlafly position has since disappeared in totally, America. Totally. So her argument was family first, work second, and there are trade-offs. Yeah. But, you know, I'm in D.C. I've been in the conservative movement, I think, for as long as you have. Uh, that message has disappeared from the right. I mean, I, I tell people your mainstream conservative elected official or intellectual today is basically Betty Friedan my, minus the overblown rhetoric. <laughs> the basic message to all the young women on the right is you need to go to college, you need to have a career, you should then also get married. And by the way, there are no trade-offs. Yeah, right. And I think we're you doing... You can have it all. You can have it all. And the truth is, you know, women can't have it all, men can't have it all, no one can have it all. No. I mean, the human condition is about trade-offs. Right. So uh, to answer your question, I think the feminization of society is second-wave feminism, which is then, if you want weaponized through the civil rights regime. Yes. So institutionalized in the government and then through HR departments across the country, creating the monster we have today of lawsuits for disparate impact, affirmative action, workplace harassment. I mean, the death of humor in the workplace because someone's going to get offended. Men walking on eggshells around women. You don't know what you can't say, what you can't say. You know, the death of flirting, and ultimately, to a sad extent, I don't want to say the death of love, but the disappearance of love, yeah. because the sexes develop an, anti uh, an antagonistic relationship vis-a-vis -vis one another. 
All right, we have only just begun. My guest is David Azrad, PhD from Hillsdale College, the DC campus, assistant professor and research fellow. This is America First. If you enjoy the show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Go to your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, uh, America First. Leave us a five star review and share the links with your friends. Dear friends, uh, the death toll is over 20,000 in the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Uh, we are reaching out to assist those who are so, so much. They're just suffering beyond any belief. It's not in the news. Other things are driving it out and pushing it out. If you just look at some of the footage from the region, it is heartbreaking. The amazing people at Food for the Poor have set up an emergency way to assist them like we have done in the past for other natural disasters. Please go to my website, sebgorka.com, and click the Help Turkey and Syria banner or simply text my name to 91999. That's G-O-R-K-A to the number 91999 or just go to sebgorka.com and click on the Help Turkey and Syria banner. If you had an okay year, if uh, you've weathered the last three years of COVID and you'd like to give back, let's help those who are suffering, the families in Turkey and Syria today. That's sebgorka.com and the Food for the Poor banner. Right, we've, we've talked about where the assault came from, the genesis, the various waves of uh, feminism. Let's talk about uh, our side. Let's talk about the classic concepts. W- what is the definition? What is the proper definition of a man? What, what things must it contain? The first word that comes to mind for me is duty. Yeah. Uh, It's responsibility. I mean, you know, to the point about how feminized we are, Jordan Peterson becomes an international sensation. I don't mean to take away from him too much, but by basically telling young men to make their bed. It's stunning. The the, the idea that a a modest, soft-spoken Canadian academic, because he takes a stance against speech police in Canada becomes the the warrior of masculinity yeah. tells you where we're at exactly yeah his message to young men which resonated so much with him you know the most interesting thing about peterson to me is he says his audience is overwhelmingly young men yeah. it shows the craving still in the human soul to hear a message of responsibility i.e not just claiming rights, although it is manly to assert your rights if they're being trampled. You know, my favorite line in any founding document is the fifth grievance leveled against the king of the Declaration of Independence for dissolving repeatedly houses of assembly. Uh, he has repeatedly dissolved houses of assembly. Why? For opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. In America, we don't just declare our rights. We oppose with manly firmness yes. those who violate them. Yes. You know, talk is cheap. Read the Syrian constitution if you want to see a great declaration of rights. Or the Stalins. Or the Stalins. Right, right. What makes America different is asserting these rights. So I don't mean to say there's, you know, rights are bad, but the message today is claim things for yourself. You know, give me this, free college, free health care. And then, of course, always excuses, right? It's never my fault. Uh, my parents didn't love me enough. Uh, I, video games corrupted my soul. I think a man is someone who does his duty and assumes responsibility for his action and recognizes that there are duties to parents, to siblings, to friends, to countrymen, and eventually to a wife and to children. And, and, that, and for me, the th- one of the ones that isn't discussed adequately is duty to the vulnerable in general. 
whether it's the unborn, whether it's the aged, those who cannot defend themselves. That's, that's a man's job. Yeah, with, with um, I'd say, two caveats. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand, I think the, the, man, the man's soul is sometimes a little bit harder, uh, and it'll manifest itself differently than feminine compassion for the poor. Mm-hmm. And then second, I'm very suspicious of any kind of cosmopolitanism that teaches that the highest duties are to mankind. Oh, you know, that's a right. way I'm really, uni- no, I know you're not, no, no, right. I'm saying for the listeners, yeah. it's very, you know, we've set up something pretty impressive in the West, which is we basically teach people that they have no real duties to those around them, but that they have abstract duties to humanity. And it ends up being, to being a way to cultivate selfishness and yes. people in self-absorption because you disregard your parents, your wife and your kids and your neighbors, but you care about the poor. You care about in some the, amorphous sense. Yeah, in Bangladesh. And right. I don't know, you, you post something on Instagram and you donate $25, or even better, you donate 50 cents at Starbucks, you round up, you know, for some cause. <laughs> right. And you get to feel good about yourself, but at no real cost. So yeah. I think being a man is a hard thing. I think it's difficult. I think, uh, you know, the life expectancy for men is always shorter than for women. Uh, it requires some physical strength. Now, I say this, you know, I don't go uh, to the gym. I'm not a devotee of working out. I do some push-ups at home, but I think a man needs to have some physical strength. Um, But I think it's an exhilarating challenge to be a man. So there's something difficult about it, but there's a satisfaction that comes from knowing that you've cared and protected for your own, that you've done your duty, uh, and that you've maybe, you know, picked up a few scars along the way. I think there is a deep, quiet satisfaction well, and that meaning. comes from it. And, and meaning. meaning, absolutely. Um, this is one of my favorite questions for all of our guests in the Manhood Hour. Who or what have been the greatest influences on you in your understanding of manhood? We've had literary figures. Yeah. We've had you know, the guy who took me through basic training in the SEALs. For you, where did, where did that crystallization come to you from? So I'd say there's the personal and the theoretical. The personal, not to sound kitschy, I would say is my father. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up very poor in Morocco as a second-class Jewish citizen. His father died when he was young, leaving my grandmother alone with 11 kids. Um, and he's one of the most honest, hardworking, dutiful men I know. Never complained raised the family well, and I saw him be generous with his friends, his family members, just an honest, good, real man. And we never had American TV moments where he would sit me down and say, you know, David, I want to give you a lesson. He didn't teach me by talking. He taught me by doing. Yeah. Um, that was one. The other one I would have to say is one of my intellectual heroes, Probably my favorite living American, regrettably a man I've never had the pleasure of meeting, is Pat Buchanan. Oh. And the manliness I learned from him was of um, calling out lie, calling out the lies lies of the regime, Mm -hmm. um, boldly and defiantly speaking the truth. He's not the only one. You know, Solzhenitsyn in Russia did that very well, Live Not By Lies. I think Rod Dreher named the title of his last book after uh, a Solzhenitsyn line. But... I discovered Buchanan late in life and was just amazed by the man's courage and defiance before the lies of the regime. He's not the only one, but that is an element of courage. You know, courage is in part on the battlefield, but that is not going to apply for most people. 
But then there's the courage of calling out these lies. And, you know, take a man like General Mattis. He had the battlefield courage, presumably, but proved to be a bit of a regime lackey when it came time to call out the lies. Uh, Pat Buchanan never served in the military, didn't fight in battle. But but he called out the lies. What a fighter. And, you know, to not bend the knee when they come for your head and call you an anti-Semite and a racist and all the terms they use to silence debate, crush you and humiliate you. That's courage. That's manliness. Uh, you know, Trump had a lot of them. I think part of the reason, I mean, I was drawn to Trump, and I know many were, was the guy would just say out loud what all of us thought, <laughs> what we would whisper. Yeah. And then when everyone would freak out, he'd repeat it the next day. When I first met him summer of 15, I was invited uh, to meet him to potentially advise him, which I ended up doing. And it, it was, I went with trepidation to Trump Tower. But within the first literally 30 seconds of me sitting across the desk from him in his office, I realized this man utterly detests political correctness and is prepared to call it out. And I said, yeah, I can work with that. We talked to David Azrad. This is America First. It is one-on-one. It is the manhood hour. If you are America First, you've got to wear it. You've got to have it in your pocket. What does that mean? Check out all the amazing America First gear at sebgorkastore.com. Sadly, the hottest selling item right now is our FBI t-shirt that stands for Fascist Bureau of Intimidation. We can't print them fast enough. The newest is the Elon Musk t-shirt and mug. Hashtag Twitter files. Are you paying attention? And you asked for it. We designed it. It is the America First challenge coin. Should be in your pocket wherever you go. America First with the president and our motto, stay frosty. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented the MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread, the MyPillow 2.0 is the softest and coolest pillow you'll ever own for my exclusive listeners that my pillow 2.0 has a buy one get one free offer with promo code gorka my pillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100 made in the usa and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee just go to mypillow.com click on the radio list of square for the buy one get one free offer enter promo code gorka or call 800-829-8468 that's code g-o-r-k-a goat today all right so um the next generation we'll talk about what's happened to the current generation the millennium generation gen z but if we are to right the ship if we are to restore classic concepts of manhood and masculinity what do young boys in america in the english-speaking world need to be taught what is on the what is the non-negotiable minimum on the syllabus of what we teach young boys haven't discussed that is a component of manliness is a certain spirit for adventure and risk-taking and daring. So there's the element of duty, but there's a bit of an element of danger. And part of the feminization of society is the safetyism. Risk-averse. Yeah, risk-averse, the helicopter parents, the snowplow parents. So I think there should be... Is that a Canadian thing? The snowplow parents? Uh, no, I, I heard it is as in America, like you clear all the obstacles before the child. So the helicopters, you hover yeah, above yeah, them yeah. to make sure they're safe. This is no obstacles before them. Funny. Um, the, 
the so embracing that embracing so one is risk. I think there should be more unstructured play and being outdoors and no helmets and scraping your knees and getting right. lost and you don't need to call every five minutes. But then second, I would have them read stories of, you know, adventure. Rollicking of, adventure. Of explorers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be violence in there. And, and, you know, it's fine. I mean, you don't want to raise a brute. It goes without saying. But something that kindles their imagination. You know, when you look at the public square today, at the prominent people, one thing that always strikes me is how uninspiring and unmanly the goals they set for themselves are. Like you ask any billionaire, what do you want to do with your money? I want to cure cancer. Now look, that's a commendable goal, Mm. but it's basically living longer. What I like about Elon Musk is I'm going to go to Mars. Right. And look, I don't want to go to Mars. I don't want to to go on a spaceship. I don't want to live in Mars, but I like the spirit of daring. The thing, one of the things I like most about America is the lunar landing. That is daring. That's that's defining. It's defined. So... If only our schools would teach Apollo 11 as much as they teach slavery. Yeah. Give this, the children, the boys in particular, and look, some girls also, there's no doubt about that. Some women are, are, uh, have more of a masculine spirit. That's fine. Uh, to think big, daring thoughts rather than just a sense of guilt and self-flagellation and shame for their past. <sighs> I, you talk about Musk and you talk about billionaires and what have you. The thing that strikes me about the political elite since the 1990s, since Thatcher and Reagan and, and blessed St. John Paul II, I look at every political leader without the odd exception of maybe Trump and a few others, and they are all utterly unprepossessing and unimpressive. I mean, these, there's no de Gaulle's amongst them. No. There's no church. There's nobody who'd say, yeah, I want him in the foxhole next to me. I mean, the idea of a Tony Blair or Bill Clinton in the foxhole next to me, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, he'd be on the end of my bayonet. So it's also the political elite. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that lacks any sense of adventure. Yeah. And, and, but everyone else, the actors, the famous people, there, there's, I mean, it's, mediocre and and feminine and compassionate in the worst sense of the term, not in the proper Christian sense of the term. Right. Um, Yeah, I I think I wouldn't, I would want the young boys to have a bit of contempt for these elites. You know, this is something you find in both Buchanan and Trump, for example, that a man should have a certain level of contempt for pathetic weaklings, uh, especially if they're misbehaving. I mean, if they're victims of circumstances... That's where you might have pity. But some of these people, it's appropriate to voice one's contempt. When, when mediocrity is a choice, when risk aversion that's is it. a choice. Yeah. And then imposed on others. And imposed on others, then you have contempt. Yes. Them. And that, that's why people like Trump have to be destroyed. We're talking to David Azrad, PhD assistant professor, research fellow at Hillsdale College, D.C. campus, hillsdale.edu. We are broadcasting to you from just outside the insalubrious, fetid, rank, malodorous swamp that is Washington, D.C., from the ReliefFactor.com studios. Relief Factor, pain relief that 
networks, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating. Half a million Americans right now, me included. But it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie's story. I have a lot of pain from aging. And after only four days of using Relief Factor, I am already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more days. Relief Factor is a blessing sent by God. Find out for yourself. It's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack for the paltry sum of $19.95 at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Reggie, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That number again, 800 800- 500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. The last substantive question uh, we have uh, is, and before you jump in with your answer, I'd like to just put some context around it, is where you stand on the future of uh, masculinity, whether you're an optimist, whether it can be revivified, or whether you're a pessimist. And, And before we get to your explicit answer to that, My son, who's now taller than me, stronger than me, smarter than me, age 24, uh, which is as it should be, I tell you all fathers, we used to arm wrestle every day on his birthday from age 14. By the time he hit 18, it was a draw, and we haven't arm wrestled since that day because the correct progression has occurred. My son, who uh, loves classics, he said, "We, we we are due a war. Um, soft times make soft men. Uh, we are due some hard times that will create hard men. Is that um, the only way this is going to change? That some crisis? Well, I don't because I don't, there's only one Hillsdale, David. There is only one Hillsdale. Uh, no, I, I don't think we need a war. I first of all, I think it's changing because the dissatisfaction is rampant. The Jordan Peterson phenomenon. You know, a, a lar- this whole kind of online bro-y right, uh, you know, these guys that preach uh, weightlifting, oh, how uh-huh. to talk to women, yeah, yeah. Uh, take, going out and getting some sun, give, no porn, no video games. Uh, oh, young men are craving for this message, which means that they're dissatisfied with what is going on. So that's the opening. But, that, but that's not going to be the solution. No, it's but... Very, it's very superficial. So it... But it shows that the discontent is there, the supply is greater, or rather the demand is greater than the supply of alternatives at this point. Uh, Things are changing. I also don't think that the current regime is stable and tenable. By regime, I mean it in the broader sense, not just The cultural regime. This way of life that we have uh, is not tenable. I'm not making grand predictions about what's going to happen in in the short term, but... uh, I think life will get harder, even without any kind of a war, and masculinity will inevitably reassert itself. And I am encouraged by the number of parents I see who are not 
excessively political, you know, wouldn't necessarily listen to your show or even like Trump, and are starting to be concerned about their boys, that uh, the screens, the Adderall, the pathologizing of boyishness. Um, I I, I don't know where it's all going to go, but no, I'm cautiously optimistic, I would put it. And will some of the... See, my, my issue is if I look at COVID in the last three years, is I see, and this is saddens me, I, I find it tragic as an immigrant to this country who chose it, is I see that the spirit on which this nation was founded, which is the frontier spirit, go West young man, kind of disappeared for three years. And, and we were told to shut everything down, shut the schools down, shut your businesses down unless you're Walmart and Amazon... And then one restaurateur in California and one, one gym owner in New Jersey would say no to Fauci, and it would be a story. And I'd say, hang on a second. This is a nation of 330 million people. Why is it one restaurateur here, one gym owner there? It should have been tens of thousands. So where has the virtue of courage gone? Look, there was a fair amount of defiance, I think not as much as we would have wanted to. Uh, And eventually we did undo the whole madness. I mean, the darkest moment I had in the past three years was thinking this is never going to end, that we're going to wear masks for the rest of our lives. Life is pretty much back to normal as far as COVID is concerned. But it did reveal that the West kind of lost its mind and really was so risk averse for something that basically proved to be a bad version of the flu, that it was willing to eliminate all normal activities I saw, I think maybe we looked at it differently. I saw more defiance really? than you did. Look, I really? didn't see as much as I would have liked in to. In D.C.? No, well, not, okay. <laughs> well, not in D.C., but, you know, in some redder parts of America. Um, there, there, is, there is more and more defiance, I feel, across the board. More and more snickering amongst boys, I think, when people start blathering about systemic racism and the horrors of America. Like I said, this, the, the demand is greater than the supply right yeah. now. I think if more people came along and said bold, defined things, offer challenging things, like I'd love to see a red state governor mandate wrestling in public schools for boys. <laughs> I would like to see more all-boys schools arise. You know, I got to tell you, I give a lot of talks, probably, I don't know, 50, 60 a year. One of the coolest ones I ever gave was at an all-boys school in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And I was the morning speaker, and I gave a, a, a talk called The Canadian Case for America, because I, I, I'm a Canadian. <laughs> and the energy in that room from the boys who were loving it was so exhilarating and i thought we have boys schools in america but there should be more of them i mean that's another thing i would i think is very important is keep and create more spaces for men to be men and in the company of men i find it so pathetic this idea of a man cave that a man needs to go into the basement of his house to do what play video games (laughs) No, that's not what a man does. There should be ideally clubs or just spaces where men can still be men. I mean, we need women. We love women. And we should be with them. And they're in many places. I'd say most places. But it's important to preserve some of these spaces. I think especially for younger boys. I mean, you know, how are you supposed to concentrate on studies as a a pubescent boy with hormones coursing through your body when you've got girls blossoming in front of you? 
That's not conducive to learning. My, my son went to an old boys school oh, until, he until he was 16. And it was a school, Catholic school, where if, if in the recess, if you didn't come back with mud on your pants and you know, a ripped pocket on your blazer, you didn't do recess properly. I mean, they were encouraged you know, within boundaries to roughhouse. And the camaraderie, I mean, his friend circle today is a 24-year-old. I mean, they, they challenge each other. You know, we're going to get up at 5.45 each morning. We're going to make sure we're, you know, we're in church by 8. We're going to keep each other accountable. That, that comes from being in an all-boys school where they're allowed to be young men together. So I, I could not concur more. We're talking to David Azrad. It is the manhood hour coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. If you're in daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, do what I did more than four years ago. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It's not just about me. It's half a million people like Leah from Ohio. This is her story. One Sunday morning, I sat on my couch in so much pain I was in tears. That's the day I ordered Relief Factor. Following directions, in eight days, I found relief only to get better and better. I'm a believer 100%. That should be you. That could be you. There's only one way to find out, but it's super easy. Call 800-500-8384. Order the three-week quick starter pack. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Leah, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You deserve to know. There's only one way to find out. What have you got to lose? Nothing. Well, except for the pain. Call right now, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That number again, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. So lastly, it sounds to me that when it comes to this all-out all assault on the sex that you know, built Western civilization, you are optimistic that there is something nascent, something organic, some counter-revolution bubbling? Yes. Um, and, and do you think in that positive response, I'm curious, it's probably going to come from not just those who are otherwise apolitical or don't consider themselves to be political, but I think it's, it's, isn't it going to come from those areas that are derisively called the flyover states out, outside of the metropole? Uh, it might, although, you know, masculinity is not doing very well there either. In I the mean, rural areas? Really? Well, I mean, look at the obesity. I mean, the morbid obesity. I don't mean being a little bit overweight and having a belly. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. I mean, having so completely lost control over your appetites. Yeah that you, you can barely move anymore. The opioid problem, which is part of, I think, a yes. deeper spiritual malaise right. of a broken, conquered people in their own country who've lost the will to live. It, it's funny, on the pre, prior point, he, he's not you know, exactly a philosopher, but he is influential. I saw this clip of Joe Rogan recently, and he just said, look at the home movies from the beach in the 1960s and 70s. There was nobody who was morbidly... I mean, no, no. nobody. There was nobody who no. couldn't see their feet. Um, this, these aren't models. These were Americans, working-class, middle-class Americans at the beach. And then you contrast it today, and then it's kind of a wake-up call. Yeah. So I, I, I don't exactly know where it, co where it will come from. Will, uh, it, will I, it come from re reaction to the transgender ex uh, extremism? I mean, that, that is, I mean, I think it's going to be a confluence of factors that are going to join in one stream. 
my, I don't want to say concern is, you know, you can also have the wrong kind of masculinity, namely barbarism or savagery. So right now, the problem is, uh, someone wrote an article many years ago called Wimps or Barbarians. Hmm. Um, And I think the argument was that the young men today are basically given only two models of masculinity, to be a wimp, i.e. the feminized man, or to be a barbarian. Uh, meaning someone who doesn't know how to treat women properly, who doesn't control his impulses, who is, you know, think of the the excess spiritedness that you find in gang members. Right. So uh, some of the people who are uh, tapping into the discontent, I think, are offering uh, not a positive model of masculinity. So I I would want to take these different streams and channel them into something uh, constructive that taps into the Western tradition of masculinity that you know has always sharply distinguished between civilization and barbarism, contrary to what the feminists have told us, have never treated women like cattle or brutalized them senselessly. Yeah. So tap into what is best into the male spirit and uh, put it to the service of the common good, to the country, to families, uh, to making America great again, if you will. It's a good catchphrase. I like that. I think I might share that with somebody I know in uh, West Palm Beach. All right, we've been talking to David Azrad. Uh, as I'd like to do with, with our more academic guests, especially when we have the likes of VDH on, and, uh, of course, he's also affiliated with Hillsdale. Last question, I'd like to give our 3 million listeners and uh, all of our viewers a little bit of homework. So for those whose interest has been piqued, who aren't steeped in political philosophy or the founding or the principles of Western civilization, give us a couple of things they should read as pr- primers. Where should they start? Where, where's a good... I mean, I always say Alex de Tocqueville. Start with, start with dead white guys, uh, preferably, you know, dead a few centuries. But give, give, give our listeners something to read. Uh, well, you, you can't go wrong with Tocqueville's Democracy in America, which has been described as both the greatest book ever written about America and about democracy. It's long, which can be daunting to people, but the chapters are very short, and I always tell people, go through the table of contents and pick at pick. random any chapter that tickles your fancy, and you'll be blown away. Yeah, blown away by what he saw 200 years as ago. As a foreigner. As a foreigner who only spent a year, uh, 13 months, I think, traveling the country. A, a very impressive book. Um, and he warns against the society becoming too soft, which leads to tyranny at the end of the book. Um, another thing I might recommend is, uh, well, maybe Plutarch's lives, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about Manlius. So Plutarch wrote these parallel lives of great Romans and Greeks. Uh, and they're, you know, 40 to 60 to 70 pages each one. And they give you an account of these great men. I mean, they're, they're really an account of the great lives of people like Caesar, uh, Publius. I, I, I really uh, think that they make for wonderful reading. Good. Wonderful. Love it. Love it. Your homework has been uh, deployed. Questions will be asked next week. Maybe not, but just get reading. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to The Manhood Hour on America First. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, hold the line. Never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.